welcome to Money Matters TV. Today's show is totally dedicated to the pandemic we've all been experiencing. We're going to be talking about things that affect employees, things that affect banks, and things that affect commercial real estate. I'm your host, Patricia Dunn from Merrill Lynch Wealth Management and specifically the Dunn Group at Merrill Lynch in West Conshohocken, Pennsylvania. My co-host today is Paul Mitchell, a commercial banker, who will be talking to us about what's happening in the banking world. And ultimately, our guest today is Charlie Schneider, who will be talking about lending in general and the commercial real estate market as well. So let's start with the employee. We know that unemployment rates are quite high. And this being laid off is a traumatic event in somebody's life and not something that happens every day. So I want to talk about the options that a laid off employee has with their 401k plan. There are actually five options that an employee has. And as I go through them, I don't want you to be thinking, well, I'll listen to all five and then I'll pick the best one. And this is something that needs to be discussed with your professional advisor, because making the wrong choice, something that doesn't line up with your professional goals and your progress to goals could come back to haunt you when you're getting ready for retirement. But option number one is to leave your 401k plan with your prior employer. The advantage is by law, 401k plans have creditor protection. The disadvantage is what if your employer declares bankruptcy and goes out of business? We've had major firms saying that they're declaring bankruptcy. The best way to avoid a punch is not be there. So I tell people, take the money out before that happens and move it. Option number two is you can withdraw the money as a lump sum distribution and the advantage is that you have immediate access to your money to spend or to reinvest as you see fit. The disadvantage is the fact that you won't get all the money because there's taxes due on that money and you've given up the ability to get future tax deferred growth on these assets. What you take out cannot necessarily be put back. Number three is to roll all or a portion of your money over into an IRA. Now, the advantage of this is that you gain financial experience and control because an IRA holder has more investment options than a 401k holder does. And you get access to planning tools and to professional advice and guidance. The disadvantage is that you give up creditor protection in the event of bankruptcy and the cost of getting professional advice and guidance. The fourth option that you have is let's assume you get rehired quickly. You can take your 401k from your prior employer and roll it into the new employer's plan. The advantage is the ease of this decision, the low cost, and um, the uh, ability to keep all your retirement assets in one place. The disadvantage may be that the new plan may not have the good options or even the same options that you had before. 
And sometimes the provisions are different from what your old plan had. So I tell people to look before you leap. Now, those are the classic pros and cons for this option. But I'd like to, from personal experience, name one that people don't talk about. And that is continuing to roll old 401ks into the new 401ks. When you get to retirement age, yes, you have one big nest egg for retirement. But what you don't have is investment experience and prior advice and guidance. And now for the first time in your life, you're having to deal with the realities of the ups and downs of the market. And many times you're not prepared at all to handle it. And what happens is emotions take over and you tend to sell when the going gets tough and the market's down. And you tend to buy when the market is safe, which could mean 10% above the old high. Now, doing this rinse and repeat, sell low, buy high, can really leave havoc to your ability to outlive your assets. So this is an area where prior experience and professional, prior professional advice and guidance can really make a tangible difference in your ability to comfortably retire. Now, the fifth option, is to take some of these assets or maybe all and roll them into a Roth IRA. Now, this is not a do-it-yourself option at all. The rules are many and they are complicated. And you need to discuss this with a professional financial advisor, preferably someone who's a certified financial planner who will work in conjunction with your CPA. But the advantage of taking tax-deferred dollars and converting them to future tax-free dollars can have an enormously positive impact on your retirement and your legacy planning. Now, for the small business owner out there who is unfortunately facing the reality of declaring bankruptcy, this is traumatic and it's horrible. But this is one area, this fifth option may provide a silver lining for you in that you may be able to tax-free be able to move your deferred assets into tax-free dollars. But again, talk to your financial professional who is a certified financial planner and your CPA, let them work together because the rules are many and they are complicated. So. Now, Paul, would you be willing to help us with what's going on in the banking world for small, medium, and large banks? Okay. Well, it's um, it's crazy. It's 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 awful. I mean, you know, how do you how do you lend money to a business, whether it's commercial real estate, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a manufacturer, when their income has largely disappeared over the past three months? You know, banks reputable. Reputable banks, which are regulated by the government, so they're supposed to lend responsibly, um, are, you must lend against uh, information that says, yeah, ability to, to repay is there. It's been there historically, but it hasn't been there for the last three months. What's a bank going to do? Is everything you know back to normal? We'll have to wait for perhaps three, six months 
to see some degree of normalcy. Um, and that's what I suggest is, is going to happen. Um, you know, a commercial real estate, a shopping center owner, have the tenants been paying every month? Are they good tenants? Are they credit worthy? Wow. Tough, really tough. Um, interest rates, you know, very low. But the interest rate um, uh, curve has been um, inverted recently where long-term rates can be even less than short-term rates. Crazy, crazy. Um, another big thing happened with banks. So that's in terms of lending, you know, it's, it's crazy out there. What's, what else has happened in commercial banking? Well, certainly, and this is one of the things that the, uh, the pandemic has, has brought out is the importance of technology in banking. You haven't been able to go into the most banks into the lobby of a bank. Uh, you can you know, access your banking um, by phone over your computer, that type of thing. That kind of technology do more and more going forward as people get more comfortable with it and continue to do more things. One of the things, of course, of greatest concern is the, the privacy. How secure is the information that you're putting out over the phone or your computer to the bank? And the bank's response say they have spent a lot of money on their security. Generally, they do. And I would say, generally speaking, their systems are quite secure. A lot of them use them outside consulting firms, don't have the technology in-house monitored by themselves in-house, but leave it to the experts to do. That's terrific. But here's the rub. The information goes from your phone, your computer, to the bank. It has to arrive at the bank for the bank to be able to treat it securely. In the meantime, it's your your system, it's your technology, it's your security, it's your privacy. Wow. So that's a big, big thing to consider. Um, and the cost of technology, like I said, is, is considerable. The banks that are investing in it, you know, uh, have, a, have a better future. Smaller banks generally don't have, you know, that kind of capital that they can spend on technology. It's, it's the reason for banks to merge, no other reason, just so they have the ability to invest in technology going forward. Another big thing in banks, banking, I'll say, is the continued growth of non-banks, internet banks, banks that you know aren't aren't on Main Street, aren't down down the down the road. Um, some of them are truly non-banks. That is, they're not um, insured by the FDIC. Your savings might not be good there. They're not regulated. Other things could happen. Interest rates it, it can be extremely high with some non-banks. Getting the loan may be easier, but the rates can be the eye popping. Um, getting back to uh, technology and road banking, the last um, comment I'd like to make there is that traditionally most businesses transactions are done person to person. Bank wants to know its customers. Customer wants to know who the banker is that they're dealing with. Technology. Nobody's walking into a branch. Nobody's you know, going eyeball to eyeball. Maybe they'll have some kind of uh, tele telebanking, like they have telemedicine, whether doctor's looking at you, you're looking at the doctor. Right now, that really doesn't exist. So that losing that, that, that touch, that personal touch, is, is a consideration. So lots happening in commercial banking and um, what more to happen. Paul, can, uh, you listen, can you handle a viewer question for us? Sure, give it a shot. Fred Gaines of Philadelphia asks, do low interest rates help or hurt banks? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, right now, interest rates are extremely low. 
Okay, well, that may, should make it easier for everybody. I mean, uh, when I bought my first home, I paid uh, seven and a quarter percent two decades ago, and that's considered a, a good rate. <laughs> now, half that rate is considered a reasonable rate. So it's unbelievable. So rates are extremely low. Now, so banks should be able to, boy, lend more money to more people because uh, less interest is being paid. It's easier to pay back the loan, that type of thing. On the other hand, banks have two sources of, I'll say, cash for their business. One is the capital that has originally capitalized the company plus their retained earnings into their capital accounts. Now, typically a bank is required to have at least 10% of its total uh, total assets in capital. So pretty leveraged. Banks wouldn't even like to lend money to a business that's that leveraged. So, so where does that other um, 90% come from then? Well, that's the, the deposits. They're actually a liability. You give the bank the money, the bank owes you the money, right? It's got to make it available to you. Okay. So that's why, um, that's how banks use both those sources as the cash to make their loans and other types of investments. We'll say principally loans. Now, with low interest rates, what kind of return can the banks get on their capital? It's a million dollars of capital and they're getting a 3% return. Wow, 10% of a million is, uh, is 100,000, that's $30,000. It's not so great. If interest rates were 10%, they'd be getting a million dollars back on their earnings on that capital. That's a tremendous, tremendous difference. So should banks want to have interest rates sky high? Well, no, up to a point because moderation like most things. If interest rates are too high, which they were 30 some odd years ago, who can pay, who can pay back the loan for God's sakes, you know? Uh, mortgages at 20%, things like that. So banks generally like to see interest rates higher than they are today. So somewhere I'll say if the rates right now are close to zero, actually, banks Thank borrow you. from other people. Thank could be, you, um, That and 10%. For our viewers out there, if you'd like to send in a question, here's how you do it. You can have your questions answered on Money Matters. Please go to our website, money-matterstv.com. On our homepage, click on the banner on the right that says, Send Us Your Questions. While you're on our website, you can find information about our hosts and guests, as well as show notes and links about this show and past shows. Money Matters is also available as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, so you can listen to Money Matters while you're on the go. That website address, again, is money, M-O-N-E-Y, dash matters, M-A-T-T-E-R-S, T-V dot com. Welcome back to Money Matters. We're now going to turn the program over to our guest, who is Charlie Snyder of Upland Business Capital, who will fill us in on a number of things. I've been very anxious to talk to you, Charlie. I'm going to start out. Can you tell us what the impact of the two Small Business Administration disaster loan programs, specifically the IEDL and the PPP, has had on small business? Uh, certainly. Good afternoon, Pat, and good afternoon, Paul. Thank you for having me on today. Uh, they were designed as a quick reaction to providing eight weeks worth of payroll support, and this is primarily the PPP, to small business. 
the EIDL was designed more so to be um, driven directly through the SBA. So if you're a business owner, you've got to uh, go online and apply to the SBA directly. You would not go through a bank where you do with the PPP. But it was designed more to cover the hard costs, uh, rent, utilities, payables, that kind of thing. And under that program, uh, once it uh, reaches the end of its time, which is June 30th, then you were, uh, the amount of money that you borrowed was termed out at a very attractive rate over a long period of time to pay it back. The PPP was designed to cover payroll for eight weeks. And in doing so, if you initially had 75% or more used toward payroll, you had the opportunity to apply for forgiveness. So that's a huge bonus to a small business. Where the challenge came into the program was the government also enacted an unemployment bonus program where an individual could elect to go on unemployment and collect a $600 a week bonus. In doing that, it created confusion and a lot of concern in the, in the employment place because some employees were actually making more on unemployment than they were on payroll. Wow. So one of the good things about it is that the PPP, um, the forgiveness is there, uh, and it's going to allow that company to take that into account and not have it work against them. The, the real goal was if a company had 25 employees, hopefully eight weeks later, 25 people were still being paid. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been helpful. It's been very difficult to navigate and work through. Uh, but going back to a, a comment that Paul made about technology, one of the th first things we've seen was the ability to interact through web portals, secure portals, to apply for both these loans via either through a bank or the SBA directly. So the technology is now beginning to come into play. Charlie, Charlie, sound, yes. sound real expert on this stuff. This stuff. <laughs> um, um, how you get into this? I got to learn more about it than I was. What does Apple do? We, primarily for our clients, and, and I'll use the, the SBA uh, definition of small business is 50 million or less in revenue, 500 employees or less, and 5 million in net income or less. So our typical client is what we call in the lower end of middle market. And what we provide is debt restructuring and turnaround services to that segment of middle market. So uh, you've got to be pretty busy the next few months. Uh, pretty busy. The, the, the issue now will be with the PPP program uh, a number of the clients we worked with, uh, the process to apply for forgiveness is somewhat onerous. Uh, a week ago, the government uh, enacted a, a change to the program. It lowered the qualifier from 75% to 60%. Uh, it allowed the term piece when uh, it's not forgiven. It's now gone from two years to five years. So it's, it's now at a more attractive rate, and they've softened the guidelines. But we're still actually, as of today, waiting for the official guidance to come out because uh, the president just signed that last Friday. So as soon as it comes out from the SBA, we'll know the changes. Well, now let me pick up there. Uh, do you see any new government programs in the works? Yes, and then actually tomorrow they're formally rolling out, and I'll be sitting on an SBA webinar 
Um, they're doing it in conjunction with the Federal Reserve. It's called the Main Street Lending Program. And that will be run through the Federal Reserve. Uh, it will be stimulus for small town businesses that need to pull the plywood off the windows and, and reopen and, and kickstart the business. The other thing that will change is the SBA is making revisions to their 7A lending program, which can be used as an economic stimulus as well. And the first change, and there may be a couple more coming, but the first that uh, is coming through guidance is that the first six months of that loan, uh, the payment will be actually made by the SBA. So that's a, a typical term loan. Uh, it does require collateral, does require a personal guarantee, uh, normally real estate, but uh, there's something where your first six months you can get, you know, 250, 300, 400,000 to help you get the business back up and running. So this is a loan from a bank. So the SBA yes. is going to make payments for the benefit of the borrower of the borrower, to the bank. That is correct. Yes. Sounds pretty secure. That's <laughs> a good deal for the bank. Very good deal. Charlie, post-COVID, uh, what do you see the middle market lending look like? Uh, you know, I gave some thoughts and all, but uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with these these businesses uh, a lot in the last few months. So, what do you think is going to happen? Bank, as you noted, Paul, bank rates are excellent right now. Um, for non-bank lenders, they work with the prime rate. And the prime rate a year ago this time was five point five percent. Today, it's three point two five percent. So when they lend money, they'll normally lend at prime plus some percentage. So let's say it could be prime plus a point and a half. So now we're at 4.75% and there may be a couple of other fees in there. That'll be the direction that many borrowers who, as you said, what does the business look like? And I'll touch on it as we talk here. Uh, what's it look like coming out of post COVID? So the risk goes up, you know, with the question mark there, especially when you look at restaurants, you look at entertainment companies, uh, you look at businesses that may not be able to restart even, you know, at 50% for months could be the end of the year. So well, it the might be a double, double dip. Many uh, people say it might be a double dip. You don't know. I, I don't know it's if it's a double, be a double dip. Oh my God, why am I going to lend money? Well, here's what I see happening. I see a gap beginning to occur where, those who have done well, uh, companies that are food producers, meat producers, um, vegetable distributors have been going gangbusters because that's the one thing. Paper products companies, um, they can't keep up with tissue and paper towel. So they'll do fine, but they're going to need to borrow money because the demand for what they're doing is going to continue to increase. So they'll get money at the lower rates that you mentioned, but the other companies that were bankable that are now higher risk will have to borrow at a higher rate. So they're, they're gonna, the criteria will change. So this is gonna present quite a challenge to the borrower. So let's, let's jump ahead two steps here. Do you expect any changes in the Wall Street Journal prime rate within the next six, 12, or even 18 months? I, I don't, I don't see any changes at this point. Um, that is the primary vehicle, and right now the market couldn't support it. Um, it does make it a challenge at a lower rate for a bank to lend, but for a commercial lender that's taken a spread higher than prime, it makes it more interesting. 
So for an asset-based lender, and both banks have asset-based lending groups and there are commercial ABL companies, um, that's where the activity will occur. And Prime, I think in the next 12 to 18 months, will have little or no change. Charlie? Uh, you, you seem to be dealing with an awful lot of businesses. How do you how do you attract? How do you get your business? How do you market yourself? Well, now you've got to use the computer. Um, much of what I'm doing, I've revamped, and in the process now of changing again. I started 90 days ago with a website that is application based. Uh, most of the business today, somebody if they're looking for debt restructuring, refinancing, they're going to use their phone. So it's gonna be, they're not even using laptops anymore. So that's one of the key factors to it. Um, posting on Facebook business, LinkedIn business, um, but also working with now strategic partners that provide targeted marketing services where they're pre-qualifying business for you that fits your criteria and the type of work you do uh, is one of the new ways as well. And, and all of this is now being done securely over cloud-based sites. So that's the other thing that's gonna change, is the borrower's gonna to have to become more technically adept. Yeah. And you talked about what, what kind of businesses do you uh, look for? Um, I see specialty manufacturing coming back in a big way. I'm working with right now actually three manufacturers of PFE, gowns, hand sanitizer, uh, masks, that kind of thing. That's not gonna go away. It, it, you know, at some point it may level off, but supplies are gonna to have to be larger than we've ever known. So companies associated with, how do you make a better face mask? Will be successful. Small specialty manufacturers of plastics, of metal components. Uh, many things that were being built abroad are gonna be brought back here. So I, I think we're gonna see, you know, they used to call it onshoring. Uh, I think we're going to see a return of specialty manufacturing from a technology standpoint. Yeah. All right, we only have a few minutes left, but could you just speak very briefly on what you see for the real estate market and specifically the commercial real estate market? Well, it's probably as, as we can all assume and, and realize in New York City is a prime example that now you have uh, no retail occupancy on the first floor. You don't have um, tenants being able to pay rent on the upper level. So the, the real estate market's in a tumble. And, and, and as we know, malls are being hit. Strip malls are being hit. Uh, large office spaces, because many people are going to be working from home permanently. So a couple of the things that are occurring right now, where you used to have as a loan to value, an LTV, a standard norm of 75%, it's now 50 to 60%. Yeah. That a lender, whether a bank or a non-bank lender will lend. Uh, the other thing is they're gonna require, because again, this unknown you know, entity, we don't know what's gonna happen post COVID, probably a minimum of six month interest reserves. Yeah. So those are gonna be the primary things. Plus credit underwriting has already tightened and they're now requesting what we call a rolling forecast versus the traditional, you know, I do financial projections in October, they're good for the following year, and they're static. A rolling forecast is more attractive to a lender now because you're taking into account, you know, what if we get a spike in October and it comes back, and can you adjust that forecast 
on a monthly basis to account for those kind of things. So that's part of what I see happening. Sounds All pretty right. complicated, well, Charlie. Sounds like uh, an excellent uh, resource businesses seeking financing to do, uh, go over all these different changes and who's doing what. Thank you very We're much. happy to be a resource. Happy and actually, to. this has been a great show. We covered all three bases, the employee, the bank, and lending in general. So uh, our next program, I think, will be equally interesting. I guess we're taking this pandemic then to the next level. Our next speaker or guest will be Safe Khalil, who happens to be the CEO and the president of a company called Avoomed, and I may be butchering the pronunciation of that company, but that company is a medical device company, and you always have growth coming out of every black swan, so medical devices are important. And SAFE not only is the president and the CEO, he oversees all the research and development for all their product research. So I think Mr. Khalil will be a very exciting guest to have. So that's all for today. Thank you very much. And remember, your money matters.